God, whose word is like water to the root of the tree, let your word now flow into us that we might flourish, bearing gospel fruit for a hungry world. In the name of Jesus, the living word, we pray. Amen. Um, someone walked in this morning and was like, there's a big football game today, right? And I thought, that's someone who doesn't watch football very often. Um, yeah, so Super Bowl this afternoon. Um, I was telling Tim, I could care less about any of these teams, so it's going to be nice and relaxing. And um, you get all those... Super Bowl commercials, which I don't think are quite as cool as they used to be. They kind of went through a season where they were really fun, uh, but it's gotten old. It's kind of like one of those sitcoms that they've run through all the scenarios and they just need to call it quits, right? Want to get away, right? So the Southwest Airlines uh, commercial where it's uh, advertising getting away on a vacation. uh, But what's interesting about that commercial is that it's revolving around an embarrassing situation. It's not really involving around, you know, deep rest for the soul, flying uh, mid-February to a sunny place and a beach. It's about some embarrassing situation that someone finds themselves in, and then it's like, would you know, want to get away? And so it's really about escape. It's about trying to just get away from whatever's going on here and getting away. Um, I don't know if that was a Super Bowl commercial, but that's one that... I thought of, you know, you can escape. Um, And I think that uh, what they're doing with that commercial is they're touching on something that's very real (laughs) in all of us, this desire to sort of get away and to put uh, whatever this is uh, causing us pain in uh, behind us and uh, escaping, escaping. And as we get into this passage this morning, uh, we realize that um, this is something that the church has an issue with. The Corinthian church has an issue with this idea of sort of escapism. And we dress it up and we cover it up and we make it look like salvation and resurrection language when really it's really about escape. And that's what's going on in the Corinthians. And so I think that uh, there's probably a, a lot of um, churches and perhaps North Harbor at times through the years where want to get away would be a great advertisement. <laughs> but it's not. And Paul is dealing with that um, this morning. We've been in this section, um, Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians um, in particular, as Paul writes these letters to the church, Um, more so than it seems like with other letters, it just seems like he's covering topic after topic after topic that the church is struggling with. And we've been covering a section that is um, dealing with worship. And there's lots of things in in those issues of worship that we haven't covered, like the Lord's Supper, um, how people should dress, which is very contextually uh, uh, dressed up in Paul's letter. Um, but what he, we've touched on is this idea of uh, worship and spiritual gifts. And as we look at all these things that Paul's trying to address, there's a lot of trying to escape, just trying to get away, want to get away. And particularly with the, um, the gifts, there's issue 
of you know who has the best gifts, who is the most enlightened. Um, and Paul dives into this that everyone's invited at the table, everyone's gifted, God uses everyone, and everyone's important uh, to this body. And we think, how is that escapism? And it's because, uh, let's be honest, there are times where we think we, we want to escape uh, some of the people that are at church. We want to get away. And so they constructed a, the a theology that has uh, some people uh, not quite as important as other people. Uh, we didn't get into this in the reading, the liturgical readings, but there's issues with the, uh, the Lord's Supper, where um, back then there was a meal that was held at someone's house, and if you had a house back then, then you were probably wealthy. You were one of the haves, not the have-nots. And so if you own a house, uh, you and your friends, who you uh, are probably in the same social strata that you are, are able to show up early and eat at this house. Because you don't have to work all day like the other people. And then they show up, and there's not as much food, there's not as much to go around, and so there's issues with the Lord's Supper. And it's a way of escaping that. Want to get away. Want to get away from the issues that the church is dealing with. Want to get away from having to wait and include others. And there's all this stuff uh, going on. And so now Paul gets to this foundational issue, this theological issue, which even though these are all big uh, things that he's been walking us through, we now get to sort of this underlying theological viewpoint, which is feeding these problems. And that has to do with understanding the resurrection. He goes into the resurrection and starts talking about that. And so uh, we're going to launch into that. Now, last week we talked about calling. Um, <clears throat> and we, we jumped over to Luke. And we did that because Paul has a call narrative as well. And so uh, we just wanted to mix it up. But at the end of uh, 1 Corinthians 15, chapter, uh, verse 11, he basically is saying, uh, this is how I was called, and this is the gospel that I share with you. And he goes on to talk about the resurrection. And so we get into this in verse 12. This is a pretty short passage. Uh, sometimes it's like, uh, give me a little bit more to work with, but this is what we have. He says, tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles should be uh, all be, we would all be lying about God. If we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have, been all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And our hope in Christ is is only for this life. <clears throat> I'm sorry. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. And then he goes on into the next section. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So 
this section of the letter, this, this passage, is fairly redundant, right? And that's pretty typical um, rhetorical style when trying to make an argument. A lot of repetition. But he starts with this, you know, this idea that he's heard that they've been denying the resurrection uh, of the dead. So what's going on in Corinth? Um, <clears throat> Paul is coming from a Jewish standpoint, um, which is very much connected to uh, the material world. Um, they believed in a resurrection from the dead, that people would actually rise. This is not a stumbling block. Uh, for uh, probably most of the Jewish people that Paul would have dealt with, that the apostles would have dealt with, uh, like it would be for us today, or for the Greek and Roman world. Um, the Greek and Roman world is very much committed to a kind of this idea of a separation of the body and the spirit. I have a quote here from uh, Plutarch. He is a first century uh, philosopher, Greek philosopher. He insisted that the soul could attain to the realm of the gods through freeing itself of attachment to the senses and becoming pure, fleshless, and undefiled. So this idea that there's a separation of the material world, which is gritty and dirty and yucky, and the spirit. Now, probably this thinking is uh, part of the church. There's a lot of people here who have been converted out of paganism into Christianity. Paul's coming from a Jewish background, and they are not, and he's trying to correct some misunderstanding um, about uh, spirit and body, and this embodiment of um, God's image and how we live. Um, but what was interesting to me as I was reading is uh, this quote from a Christian uh, philosopher, Justin Martyr, and he's writing this passage, he's, he's discussing things with uh, a Jewish man named Trifo. And listen to what he says. Um, the commentator says that this was a point of ongoing controversy in, this, in the early church. And Justin Martyr's writing in the second century, maybe 100 years after the Corinthian letter is written. This is a point of ongoing controversy in the early church. And it's confirmed by the fiercely polemical passage in the writings of Justin Martyr, the great second century apologist. In his debate with Trifo, Justin acknowledges that, listen to this, there are some who are called Christians who say that there's no resurrection of the dead, and listen to this, that their souls, when they die, are taken to heaven. Against such godless, impious heretics, Justin takes an uncompromising stand. Do not imagine that they are Christians. The position rejected by Paul and Justin as heretical has now become the popular understanding of the Christian faith among most churchgoers. Right? That sounds similar. Does that sound like a similar story? Maybe we grew up with? No, you lost me back. <laughs> <clears throat> what I'm suggesting is that um, what has uh, become 
a popular um, understanding of the gospel. We believe in Jesus. After we die, we go to heaven, and we are separated. Is not really what Paul is arguing for here in terms of a resurrection. A resurrection and the hope that Paul talks about, the hope that Justin Martyr is arguing about, is that there is a bodily resurrection. Now, I don't think anyone in here would say that there's no resurrection like they quoted here. Okay? But what I am suggesting is that when we talk about resurrection, we're so used to the stories and the preaching that we've heard that what we imagine is the resurrection is being separated from my body after I die and going to heaven where everyone's got perfect Clairol hair, right? <laughs> Someone discovered they have hair again sometimes. Um, but that's not quite the Christian message. The hope is in a bodily resurrection. That is what we see with Jesus. <laughs> when he's resurrected, he's resurrected. Now, you know, when they're hearing this, when the, when the, the people in Corinth are hearing this, what they're hearing is uh, dead bodies coming back to life. You know, and so that's a bit... <laughs> that's what happens with Jesus three days later. A bodily resurrection. And um, <clears throat> yeah, this is, we got lots of prayer before because I was trying to wrestle my mind around this and how to talk about it. What Justin is arguing against is a lot of what I think we have inherited um, as far as our understanding of the resurrection. As I said before, I don't think people here would say there's no resurrection. But what we imagine as a resurrection, I think, is a bit different than what Paul is arguing for. Paul is arguing for an actual bodily resurrection. Now, this is important on a number of levels. Um, sometimes... Here's what I think happens. And excuse me if this doesn't sound like a regular sermon. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to talk about this. We construct a theology that wants to help us escape. That wants us to just leave our bodies. Because life is hard at times. Life is hard a lot of times. Life is joyful at times. And there's lots of celebration and things to enjoy as well. And these are things that God gives us, um, whether it's a warm uh, place to live, uh, good music, instruments. These are all to be enjoyed, physical things, and we don't have to escape the physical world. But what happens is when we talk about that, there's a part of the physical world that we have a difficult time with because it hurts so much. And we have wounds. We have been wounded by others. We have scars. We have trauma from others and things that others have said and done. And uh, we particularly want to escape the things that we have said and done uh, to others. That's particularly painful to think about, hurting others, I hope. And so we construct this theology um, 
somewhat on a misunderstanding of the idea of resurrection, where we just kind of slog it out here on earth, and then we escape. Which means our living and following God is really about uh, just trying to be a good person until we get to the other side and try to survive it. So what's interesting, so consider this, right? Jesus is resurrected, and Thomas comes along and says, I, you know, I'm gonna, I want to see the wounds in his hands. Thomas, uh, being a Jewish person, probably would have believed in the resurrection. I don't think what he's having a hard time understanding is that Jesus is resurrected. Uh, there was believed to be a general resurrection. This discussion isn't so much for the Jewish people in the congregation as for the Greek and the Roman people in the congregation and the um, who have pagan background. So what Jesus does is he walks up to him and shows him his wounds. He shows him his wounds, which means he brings them with him on the other side of the grave. Right? Right. Yes. We don't escape them. They're not gone. Jesus brings him. I mean, Jesus is different. I mean, everyone has sometimes a hard time understanding who he is, so they, he says their name or whatever. But he brings his wounds with him. His wounds. This is the fruit of his ministry. There's other fruits. It's not the only thing. But part of it is the wounds that he brings. But it's not this message of escape and getting away from this. It's the message that on the other side of all that hurt and all that death that happens, that we are resurrected with those wounds with us. We, tr- we got to bring it with us. And God uses all that. That's what salvation is, is that we can move through and bring these wounds with us. We, we have them to show people on the other side. And there's healing that can happen. It's a bodily resurrection. And, uh, you know, our thinking in the West is more based on Greek and Roman thinking than it is Jewish thinking and Eastern thinking. And we do like to separate those because we just believe that it's going to be better if we escape. Fill in the blank on whatever that wound is for you. That we're just trying to get away, we want to put it away, and we find all these ways to try to figure out how to escape. We try to drink it away, we try to eat it away, we try to shop it away. If we get something bigger, faster... We try to escape. And it's not that those things are wrong. Eating's good. Drinking's fine. It's just that they're not what we place our hope in. And what Jesus shows us is radically different. Let me see the wounds. I talked to someone the other day who understood this. It was, it was a beautiful moment. I'm glad that I've had these struggles because it's enabled me to reach out to others. And I said, yes. This was Wednesday, and I thought, that's the message. That's what Paul's getting at. You've constructed a theology where we think, okay, I'm going to live this out, slog it out, and then I'm just separated and I go off, and I'm good to go. No. Our wounds come with us, all of us are resurrected, including the wounds. The ones we've inflicted and the ones that have been inflicted on us. 
And so that's important. That's a beautiful image to me, that Jesus has got his scars. He's ready to show them. Yeah. Here's the other thing. Is that I'm not quite sure how we're able to follow Jesus if we don't believe this. How do you stand with the poor? How do you pray for those who persecute you if we don't believe that there's an actual life after death, a bodily resurrection? How do we lose our own life? (laughs) So we have all these teachings of Jesus that seem impossible. And they are if we have this idea that it's all about escape. It's not about escape. It's about living into this world, trusting in God with the power of the Spirit to resurrect all those hurts, all those wounds, to celebrate all the good things. The celebrations become brighter and more festive and the wounds become healed and they're still there. But we can embody them and live into that resurrection. And that's what's going on in the Corinthians. They're trying to escape through various ways. If they don't have to wait for the poor people to show up for the Lord's Supper, then they don't have to deal with poverty in their church. And it's okay, because after we die, we're going to go to heaven. No. Nope. <laughs> you can feel all the way you want, but you gotta, you got we got to step in to that hurt, that, that wound in our world And live into it. Just like Jesus did. That's what he did. He died. They killed him. And he didn't want to do that. He's praying against it, but he does it anyway. Living into it. Actually doing it. And God is faithful and raises him three days later. Amen. Yeah. So what are our wounds? Let's just start with that question. Well, let's end with that question. I told the people, I said, I don't know how long this is going to last, but because I'm not quite sure how this is going to go. But what are, what are the wounds that we're running, that we're trying to escape? Let's just be, this is one of those moments, we be brutally, brutally honest with ourselves, just answering you know, your own mind here. What are we trying to just put away? Um, during this pandemic, uh, I've been saying this. I remember saying it down at the beach when we were down there. And it's like, this is going to, you know, this whole thing and, and disrupting our routines and our rhythms is going to shake things up. And we're going to have to hear and listen to the work of the Spirit and see the work of God in our lives and be honest because there's going to be a shakeup. And, it, and if we just try to escape it, it's, it's, you can't outrun it. It's going to catch up. It's going to come with you either way. So we have to embody this life of faith and trust in God that this will be resurrected and we'll bring it through death to new life and rebirth, to rebirth. And that's been true for us at home, and it's, it's been a painful journey. You know, really listening and hearing and facing the hurts yeah. and the wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been the best thing. And it's so hard to do. But we grow. 
and we grow. Yeah. Jesus is the first fruit. So when we see Jesus, and this is, I think the early church had a hard time understanding this. They believed in a resurrection at the end of time. And then what happens is Jesus, the Messiah, is raised ahead of everyone else. And so Paul says he's the first fruits. We are now living in this in-between time, in this tension, where those wounds are still around us. We have a broken world that's, that's scarred in many ways, in national ways, uh, in personal ways, in every which way. Uh, but God is at work. And what we've seen is that Jesus has been resurrected and we follow his example. And so he says, you know, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, there's no life. Bless those who persecute you. Pray for those. Pray for your enemies. All these things which seem impossible. And we keep trying to escape it, and we use our theology to do it. Um, and people out there see right through that. Um, this is about embodying resurrection. And that's why he says it's so central to our faith. He's basically saying to the Corinthians, you can't ignore the poor in your church. You have to live it out. And it's going to cost you. Those who have more, it's going to be a sacrifice. It's going to be a sacrifice for everyone in every which way, different ways for everyone. What are you running from? Um, what are we running towards? And how can we invite Jesus into that? Our other reading is from the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain in, in Luke. And this is one of those places where I don't think we can live this way unless we have a healthy and robust understanding that our hope is in physical resurrection, embodying our life of faith. So when Jesus... In Luke, he does this sermon. He says, when they came down from the mountain, Luke chapter 6, the, mountains, uh, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area, surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. There were people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem, and from as far north as the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him. He healed everyone. Jesus turned to his disciples and said, Blessed are the poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are poor. God blesses those who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you? And mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man. When that happens, be happy. Leap for joy. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember that their ancestors treated the ancient prophets the same way. What sorrows await you who are rich? For you have your only happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now? For a time of awful hunger awaits you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now? For your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. And what sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds? 
For their ancestors also praised the false prophets. Jesus invites us into a life of resurrection, into an empowerment of the Spirit where we look to Him and His um, faith and His faithfulness in the face of some sorrow and hurt and grief. Um, and He invites us into that same journey where we trust in God to resurrect us. Our hope is in the resurrection, an actual resurrection, where all those things that we're trying to run from are reborn and God resurrects them and brings restoration and healing. That is where our hope is. And he shows us the wounds. See that we bring them with them and they're transformed. So as we take uh, communion, which celebrates uh, Jesus' sacrifice for us, um, may we experience... Uh, the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that God has waiting for us as we take that journey with Christ and together with Christ. God, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for um, difficult passages that are sometimes hard to understand and wrap our minds around. Uh, sometimes, God, they're difficult because um, we... Um, we think that we understand something and we don't necessarily always understand it. And it becomes hard to rethink them. And it feels like sometimes that the rug is being pulled from us. But open up our hearts and minds to your word um, that we might have a new vision of life, that we might have a new vision and understanding of your word, um, that we might know you in a deeper way, uh, that we might live your life your hands and feet here in this community, in this world, as you did um, with that same level of hope and love and faithfulness and trust in your power to raise from the dead. We ask in Jesus' name.